Kyrie eleison. Lord, have mercy. The psalmist wrote those words 2,500 years ago, and they had power, so much power, that they were gathered into the collection that became the sacredness of the Hebrew Bible. Lord, have mercy. Kyrie eleison. Schubert heard those words, and he included them in his Mass number 2 as a way of reminding his audiences in the world of the importance and the power of this simple yet poignant prayer. Kyrie eleison. Lord, have mercy. This is a way of reminding all of us, all of us, that mercy is a gift, even from the very hand of God. It, it may be if you came of age in the 1980s, if you were in high school or in college then, you might hear the song from Mr. Mister. Do you remember, some of you remember the song? From Mr. Mister, Kyrie eleison down the road that I must travel. Not quite the same power as Schubert, but, <laughs> but a cute song, a little, a little melody that, that sticks in your mind when you, when you hear it the very first time. The kids in my youth group back in the 80s, they loved that song. One night to open up the youth program, I showed that video. There was a video that Mr. Mister made of the song, Kyrie eleison down the road that I must travel. We used it to set up whatever the topic was that night, but about a minute or two after it was done, this girl named Rachel, she's an actress now in California, she had tears in her eyes and she said, Glenn, it's true, isn't it? I need mercy. We, we need mercy on the road. We need mercy in life, forgiveness, grace, and hope. I remember Rachel's words like they were yesterday because indeed she's right. The, the ancient Hebrew poet who penned these words understands that feeling, that sense, that idea of, of mercy being given to the world because his life, his life is a mess. Now, he mentions sin, but that's really not the biggest problem. Who of us have not failed and stumbled along the way? What's really going on for him is, are, are these attacks? There are rumors about him. There are terrible things being said. He feels as though, did you hear it as, as David read the text? I'm a broken pot. I'm useless. I've been... I've been tossed aside. He's overwhelmed with shame. He feels as though his life has no meaning, no reason for even being alive. You know, I read a, a Bible scholar last week while working on this little homily who said that shame in antiquity, especially in the ancient Near East, had much more power then than it does today. I don't think that's true. Shame is shame. This poet and maybe us too, when we feel broken, pushed aside, forgotten, left by the side of the road like a little bit of trash. Shame can be overwhelming. It has the power to leave one feeling hopeless, destroyed, broken. The last 72 hours in the United States of America have confirmed what was true 2,000 years ago for the poet is true for us even today. The ugliness of our culture, the, the vitriol of our conversations, of our national dialogue just seems to overwhelm us. And the violence, the ugly, horrific violence does not seem to go away. Shame is at work in our land. You might recall Herman Melville's novel, Moby Dick. There's a story right in the middle of the novel, about halfway through. 
about the first time the ship has finally captured a whale. The harpooner, the one whose, whose strike was the one that finally brought in the whale, is being served a, a whale steak cooked the way he likes it, and just him, by himself, made specially for him in honor of his, of his victory over the whale. The whale is, is, is attached to the side of the ship, and they're surrounded by literally thousands, according to Melville's story, thousands of sharks that are ripping and tearing at each other, and their tails are flapping and slapping in the water and against the ship, and the man who's the harpooner who's enjoying his meal says to the oldest man on, on board, who's also the cook and, and their preacher, preach to the sharks, would you? Pre preach to the sharks. Get them to calm down. They need the gospel. So the preacher goes over and he begins with a swear word and the, the harpooner says, no, 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 you can't preach with those kinds of words. He starts again a second sermon and again he stumbles into swearing and stops himself and then finally says in his third try, beloved creatures, you're behaving only the way you know how to behave. You are sharks and of course therefore you are sharkish. But you must learn to govern your nature and calm yourself so that you're not always sharkish all the time. And he concludes his little sermon with this phrase, even an angel is nothing more than a shark who has learned to control his sharkishness. Fascinating. Melville then, in a theological turn that was unusual for him, comments, if you took the whole thing and turned it upside down, put the people in the water and the sharks above, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Melville's words, we live in a shocking, sharkish world. It's true, isn't it? We live in a shocking, sharkish, sharkish world. We're so good at tearing each other apart. We're so good at attacking the other, of demeaning the other. Our culture seems to mirror the sharkish business of, of ripping each other apart, of tearing ourselves down. And by the way, don't blame the internet. Don't blame Facebook or Twitter or social media. As the poet's words show us, this way of human behavior has been around for 2,500 years. The method may change, but the pain, the anger, fear are still there. Brene Brown says that shame is worse than guilt. Listen to her words. I don't believe shame is helpful or productive. In fact, I think shame is much more likely to be the source, listen to this, it's almost prophetic, much more likely to be the source of destructive, hurtful behavior than the solution or cure. I think the fear of disconnection can make us dangerous. The fear of disconnection can make us dangerous. That, that shame that is heaped upon us is almost always someone else projecting their own worst traits onto the other, whether it's a preacher, a teacher, a coach, a, a politician, a musician, an artist, whoever it might be. Oftentimes it's our own worst selves that we project onto another. Have, have you seen the painting of The Last Supper by Da Vinci? Have you ever noticed at Judas's elbow, right as his elbow sits on the table, there is what is called then in Da Vinci's day a salt cellar, like a salt shaker. It's been turned over. It's been spilled. For centuries now, spilled salt has been a symbol of betrayal, of denial, of broken relationships. How true that painting is. Are there some here this morning? Don't, don't raise your hand. But are there here, some here this morning who've been betrayed, who've given away your heart and love only to have it returned broken, and tattered, 
Are there some here who've longed so deeply to be forgiven and receive nothing more than shame in return? We know what the poet is talking about. We, we understand what he's trying to get across to us. This sense of loss, of, of fear. And yet, and yet, in the middle of the poem, in the middle of what David read, the tone shifts. Did you catch it? The first half of it is about his distress, his fear, his worry, his abandonment, feeling like a broken pot. But then he says, but Lord, I trust in you. Similar words were on Jesus' lips in Luke's gospel on the cross, where he says, I give my life over to you, I commend my life to you. It's the poet's way of saying, no matter what happens in life or in death, God, I'm yours. I trust in you. I've experienced your love, your mercy. It's a, it's a psalm of hope, a psalm of trust, a word that says, yes, yes, we can get through this to the other side. Maybe perhaps the most important book I've read in, in, my, in my ministry education was one that was given to me by Dick Wang, former pastor of our church, back in 1987. The title of the book was really all I needed to know. Judas, come home. All is forgiven. That's the heart of the gospel. That's the word that Jesus came to proclaim. That's the word that the psalmist has found is, is giving him hope and, and trust and keeping him alive. Come home. All is forgiven. Our Hebrew, our Hebrew poet does not know of Brene Brown and her work, of course, but he does know that shame destroys. He does know that hope and love and grace and mercy and forgiveness are the gifts that we can rely on to turn our own lives around. Kyrie eleison, down the road that I must travel indeed. Lord, have mercy as we travel on this road. Someone may say to you, and this is kind of a cliche. You know, the Old Testament God is a God of violence and anger and war. Well, there is some of that in the Old Testament, what we would call the Hebrew Bible for sure. But from Genesis to Malachi, from Matthew to Revelation, the singular message of the Bible woven through all of the stories, all of the poetry, the hymns, and all the rest is the promise of God's mercy given to the world. May, look, may God's mercy, Christ's grace, Kyrie eleison, be spoken to us now and forever in this one life that we travel. Amen.